Welcome to the Backyard Chat Podcast, where we equip parents to take in God's Word and live it out in their everyday life. Karen and I are back today for this episode with a dear friend of ours, Jerry Clark. Karen, why don't you introduce Jerry to everyone? Jerry is a licensed professional counselor. I just know him as Jerry, and I know that he's an amazing counselor. And not only have I referred many people to him, I have used his wisdom in my own life for many years. Several weeks ago, I mentioned in a sermon, I asked my children, what was one thing that I say that they will always remember? And Emma said, the one thing that she will remember that I always say is that when our anxiety and emotions are high, that our intellect is low. And if we're (laughs) panicked, that we have to remember that and we have to change that or we can't make good decisions and we can't think our way out of a problem. I learned that from Jerry Clark. Many other things that I learned, but that one, not only have I learned, but I passed it along to my kids. And Emma said in her dorm, she uses it with all of her friends a lot. So you're you're famous at UT, just so you know. Um, Every time I hear that, I picture Jerry with his hands like this and his well, his sweet yeah. voice. Yes, yes, that yeah. was a huge thing. We it's learned. hard to explain it without using my hands. That's right. It is, but it's but it's so powerful, and I've remembered that so many times as I feel myself amping up or feeling emotions start to rise. So. Learned a million things and can't wait for him to share what God has put on his heart and the things that he's doing and helping people strengthen their relationships. And we're just so grateful to have you with us. Thanks, Karen and Melissa. Yes, thank you for being here with us. So what we want to do today is we want to talk about this new book that you have. It is incredible. So tell us a little bit about your new book. Well, it came out of an idea of creating a seminar for relationships and a seminar for parenting. And as I compiled all this information, began to look like maybe it could be a book. And God has spoken to me two different times, you know, not audibly, but really pulled and tugged at me. And once I put this information together, the pull that I felt from God was get this to as many people as you can. And I thought, well, by putting it in a book and perhaps having uh, opportunities to speak like this uh, would be a great way to get this word out. And help people who have blind spots that, that aren't even aware of them. So the book began, uh, you know, I started out by talking about my early childhood and being uh, the fifth of six kids, and we were very humbly poor. <laughs> and we got teased a lot because of the clothes we wore and the shoes we wore and the house we lived in. And not only that, but being the fifth of six kids, my older brothers and sisters teased unmercifully. And I didn't realize at that time, and I don't guess any of us realized what a thief it was for self-esteem. To be belittled and humbled and put down is a self-esteem thief. And I didn't realize how it intimidated me and caused me to be very withdrawn. Um, Later on in life, I went to college. That didn't work for me the first year, so I decided I'd do something real smart, and I joined the Marines. And after a few years in the Marines and a tour in Vietnam, I came home and my emotions were even more messed up. I had learned from being humble to being powerful and in charge Mm -hmm. and doing it my way. And neither one of those worked very well. (laughs) And after I got out of the Marines, a a year later, I married and we had two awesome blonde-headed boys and they were the pride of my life. And I wanted nothing but the best for them. So... I thought putting them through boot camp would do it. And yes, sir, no, sir, clean room, you know, nothing out of place, 
doing everything I asked exactly on time when I asked. And I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I didn't have, you know, I was taking away their self-esteem. And I can remember coming home from lunch one day, and my oldest son was probably three, maybe four years old, and he was sitting in the kitchen floor with some blue overalls on, and he was just sitting there on the floor with his legs crossed saying, I hate him. I hate him. And it didn't really register on me at that time. You know, I thought, well, you need to... You need to pick it up, bud. You know, uh, life's tough. And at four years old, you ought to know all this stuff. (laughs) Anyway, um, not only was I hard on him, the relationship with my wife was not good. And after 13 years, that marriage failed. Mm -hmm. And I will always remember sitting in the living room telling my two boys, one was 12 and one was 10. And I told them we were going to get a divorce. And the 10-year-old just ran in circles around the room, just yelling, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy, no. And my oldest son was standing right beside me, looking at me like I had just shot his dog. It was, it was the saddest time, but again, it was just tough it up and go. And, and so a couple of years later, I met Connie and a year or two after that, we got married. And shortly after that, I had the same relationship that I had in my first marriage. And I couldn't understand why people couldn't get it, you know. Oh, at the other people. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other people were having a hard time understanding how to do life uh, my way. <laughs> anyway, um, I had been to counseling before, and, and Connie and I went to counseling together. That was after we'd moved down here to League City, and we were in a couples group together, and I was in a men's group. And in the couples group, the women hated me. <gasps> Which is so hard for me to understand now. You're so sweet. Mm. They call me Mr. Right, Mr. Perfect, Mr. Know-it-all. Oh. And I would want to shoot my foot before I went into that group because I knew that I was just going to get beaten up. But the wonderful thing about that story is those women changed my life. Wow. When I finally started listening to what they had to say. There was a little bit of truth to their teasing. Hmm. I think there's a lot of truth to a lot of things people were trying to teach me and tease me, but but I couldn't hear it. That was the blind spots right. that I was having that I could not uncover. And as a result, I you know I just kept making uh, relationships not work at all. I was good in the Marines. I was great at, in the corporate world, but I couldn't make my relationships work. And Anyway, they began to uncover things about me that I could hear. And the more I could hear, the more I thought, my gosh, I know so many people just like me. Maybe I can go back to school and become a therapist and help like the help that I got. And that's when I heard God say, uh, well, I was asking myself, how am I going to do this? Because I don't know how to make a living as a therapist. But I kept hearing God say, take care of my people and I'll take care of you. Oh, wow. That's powerful. I love that. And I mean, it just and that's kept, been true, hasn't it? It has like, been. Mm-hmm. I mean, I jumped off into this and it all came to pass. And in fact, it's just been so rewarding and, and, and wonderful. But then the second thing I heard was him to tell me to get this book out to the masses. So God's been a big part of this forever, really. Mm-hmm. And it is great. So you talked a little bit about Blind Spots, but that is the name of the book. We haven't mm-hmm. even mentioned it yet. The book is called Blind Spots in Relationships. What I don't know, I don't know about myself. Yeah. So explain to us what blind spots are. 
Well, blind spots are those things that we do and say that cause other people to be uncomfortable or push away. If I'm whining, if I'm complaining all the time, and someone tries to tell me I'm complaining and whining, and I deny it, it's a definite blind spot. Blind spot. Yeah, I don't have any of those. <laughs> it's what we don't, it's what we don't know probably, about ourselves. I'm probably blind to my blind spots. That's a problem. Well, that's, huh? that's Is that a problem, it. Jerry, if I'm blind that's to my it. blind spots? Well, that's just it. It's not what we don't know. It's what we don't know. No, we, we don't, don't know. know. We don't even know we don't know. Well, when yeah. I was reading through it, I was like picturing people. I was like, oh, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so. Yeah. But I never found myself in here. So clearly I have some blind spots. Yeah. I better get my husband to read it with me. We, can, it. we can find each other's yeah. blind spots. Read it right side up. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's funny. There are are so many blind spots people have. Controlling was a blind spot that I had I didn't know. Having to be right, uh, in charge. And when I am controlling, other people feel subdued. When I'm right, other people have to be wrong. And no one likes to be wrong. I hate being wrong. Right. And until I, I finally got that beaten into my head, I just pushed people away just left and right, and did not understand it at all. Well, and there's probably blind spots that people, that we have that people don't even bring up to us. Yeah. You know, how will we ever know that we have those blind spots if no one tells us? We don't, and that's the hazard. And as I indicated earlier, generally when, if someone would say, Jerry, you're always loud, or if they would say, you're mean, or you're controlling, my words would be, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And then I would rationalize or minimize or justify what I was saying. And in a sense, it pushes people away slowly. And they try to tell me, and I don't hear it. And so they back away. And they try to tell me, and I don't hear it until it can take weeks, months, years, or decades until they're so far out here that they say, I don't want to be in relationship with you. Right. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> And they, mm-hmm. the words are, I've been trying to tell you all this time, but I, yeah. I couldn't. And it's like, man. And if only it could be that healthy of a conversation. I'm afraid sometimes if we don't hear it, then by the time we can actually hear it, it's gotten to a place where it's toxic. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And I call resentments in relationships rust. And the more we resent, the more our relationships rust. Mm-hmm. And rust is so silent but deadly that... You know, once rust takes over a fine piece of metal, the infrastructure crashes. And resentments in relationships, when they're not handled like rust, you know, we just move back until we get to the point where the relationship collapses. And once it collapses, it's almost impossible to pull it back together. Yeah, it's hard to build it back up. I found that a lot. most of the people that I send to you are people that, as I listen to them, I'm like, oh, they need Jerry quick because... (laughs) Once those resentments start to build, it's like they're walls that you start to see that they're not going to be able to ever come down unless both people really want to work really hard. It's beyond anything I can do, like from a spiritual realm, because it's they're just psychologically at at that point, everybody wants to be right and nobody wants to even listen anymore. And so but what I what I found so interesting is that it starts with these blind spots like it started if it could have been identified early before all of the resentment over the decades or over the months or years or whatever that if we can identify those blind spots, that it can save us a great heartache. And uh, other people, yes. anybody that we're in relationship with. Yes, exactly. And I love how you say that you hear those blind spots. Now when you hear them, you see them as opportunities. Talk to us a little bit about that. Why do you see them as an opportunity? I call them goal mines because they are opportunities. 
when I can recognize I have a blind spot and I can overcome it, I can attract people instead of repel them. So if there's somebody in our lives that has a definite blind spot, because clearly we've decided none of us do, but everybody else does, right? And we're here to help them. <laughs> That's, That's right. the good news. <laughs> we're here to help. <laughs> the other people in our lives that have these blind spots, what's a healthy way to point that out to someone that builds a relationship instead mm. of tears it down? You know, I think that's that's where healthy communication comes in. Some people are so resistant, they're not going to hear it. They're just not going to hear it. I get away with a lot of time kind of being challenging to people uh, as opposed to a, a spouse can be challenging to their partner. Um, and And that's one thing that I don't mind doing. And sometimes... I just ask the question, do you mind if we have an adult conversation? Oh. Or, or, you know, I try to present it mm-hmm. in a way that they can hear it. It's not about wanting to hurt them or put them down, but let them know that something they're doing is is definitely hurting them and the people they love. And the one thing that I've found that really helps is for me to be vulnerable and share my story as mm-hmm. much as I can, not to do anything other than normalize what they're going through because— right. I see Jerry Clark's come in my office every day, and oh man, it just breaks my heart because I see the sadness. I see the children who are are terribly anxious and and afraid of of divorce and not knowing where the money's going to be or where we're going to live or if we're going to have enough to eat. I mean, they really struggle with those terrible questions, and it's just you know any way I can get into a person's head and talk about their blind spots, um, I'm going to do it. It seems like to me the trick with blind spots is less about the person who's bringing it up and more about the person who has the blind spot being willing to receive it. Exactly. Meaning you can say it in anger, you can say it yeah. however, but I have to be willing to hear it. Right. I have to be saying, I've got blind spots, and when somebody's frustrated with me, they're probably frustrated because there's a blind spot. Instead of saying, well, they shouldn't be frustrated, if you want to change, instead of they shouldn't be frustrated, it needs to be, I have frustrated them. I wonder what blind spot they're trying to reveal to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And, and see, those, those things come from our childhood, uh, being ashamed, being uh, uh, feeling less than, uh, unimportant. And, and we carry those, those kinds of feelings into our adulthood and then we try to protect those things, and so we, we get combative, and, and that's what makes it hard for us to hear. You know, and, and the, an interesting thing comes to mind as, I, as you're saying that, Karen, is that, you know, couples come in, and, and they fought all week about whose turn it was to turn out the light. That's just kind of a crazy story. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, I turned it out last night. No, I turned it out, and they fight about that. But the thing that I see is that it's not about the light, it's about what unfinished business are they carrying, are they harboring, and, and the, the, you know, the ill feelings toward one another and the hurt that's been expressed and shared and the story they're telling themselves that they're not telling their partner. Right. Mm-hmm. But I call it just a cauldron, a bubbling cauldron of anxiety that's unfinished, and, and then it gets so high in the anxiety reservoir that just a little bit of conflict that goes into that reservoir then causes it to splash out, and that's where we fight about cooking, about driving, about whose turn it is to turn off the light. And all of those are blind spots, too. It's Absolutely. some, it's something that we're carrying with us that we're not, we can't even name it because we name it the light, or we name it unloading the dishwasher, we exactly. name it 
leaving your socks in the floor, whatever you decide to name it. Or the other one I see a lot is they blame it on their personality and their personality type. And they use that as an excuse to keep behaving poorly. Right. And I see that a lot. And it's like, well, that's just my personality. So sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's definitely a blind spot. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And see, the thing is, it's just so hard to attach to a person like that Mm -hmm. who's struggling in that manner, who has an excuse. Right. Instead of the courage it takes to look at your blind spots. And it does take courage. Takes, and you and you have to be willing. It takes humility is what it really takes. It, it, it takes a great deal of humility to be able to say. And I think it also takes the desire to want to be in healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it takes the humility to humble yourself to hear. And then it takes courage that once you've heard it, Really, and I think from from my standpoint, I think it's a spiritual issue at that point where it is the ability to surrender to God to say, I want to change, probably can't do it on my own. I'm really going to need you to to help me change. Yeah. Because the truth is, it's really hard for us to make those changes, but we know the one who can lead us That's in exactly that. Right. It's terribly hard. And I love how you said in, in the book, you said, courage to change me even when others aren't acting the way I want. <laughs> I was like, that is such a powerful statement. Change me. Even when you're acting a fool and I want to control how you're acting, I need to change me. Yeah, and true. that really does take, you know, that whole, you're pointing one finger that way and three are back yeah. at you. Yeah. It makes you have to stop and self-reflect. And but that, takes a, is, that takes a great deal of not only psychological and emotional maturity, but spiritual maturity to say to somebody, you can continue to act poorly and I'm going to work on me, it's, well, if you're going to act poorly, then, yeah. you know, what difference will it make if I change? And mm-hmm. so now suddenly, without realizing, I've just attached my ability to grow to somebody else's inability to grow. Well, that's yeah. one of the most illogical things you could ever do, but we don't think about it because right. we're driven by emotion instead of logic at that yes. point. And we really can't do it in the moment. And that's when you start talking about what Karen was referring to earlier, the good old Jerry Clark anxiety versus your intellect. Can we break that down in greater detail for our listeners? (laughs) You know, the words I use are anxiety and intellect compete for the same available brain resources. The more anxious I am, the less intellectual I am. The more anxious I am, the poorer decisions I make. And when I get extremely anxious, I don't know if you recall, but, you know, the dentist who ran over her husband Mm -hmm. uh, in 2006, all of that that happened that night, two extremely bright intellectual mm-hmm. people, but emotions ran away. And it's a horrible thing to use as an example, but the higher our anxiety is, the worse decisions we make. That's when we cut and shoot and do all mm-hmm. kinds of things. Even when our emotions are a little bit high, that's, it's still argumentative and you know, trying to win something, prove something, as opposed to being intellectual and allowing other people to have their own point of view and me maintaining my intellect regardless of how anxious another person is. An interesting part about intellect is spirituality and intellect run on the same plane Mm -hmm. inversely proportioned to anxiety. The more spiritual I am, the less anxious or emotional Mm -hmm. I am. The more emotional I am, the less spiritual I am. And I like that because if I'm, if I'm finding myself in an emotional state, I can pray, I can sing, I can do anything, I can turn to God's Word, and that's, that helps a lot mm-hmm. to bring me back to an even keel. Mm-hmm. 
And the idea to me is not to always be intellectual, but to have a balance of intellect and anxiety or intellect and emotions. Because if you look at it, we make all our decisions out of our emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then when our intellect is lining up with our emotions, then we're making the best decisions we can, intellect and spirituality. Mm-hmm. We're making the best decisions that we can. I, I find, too, that myself included, many people, we make our decisions based on trying to avoid emotional pain that we're imagining. It's not even necessarily real. It's like we've mm-hmm. we've been hurt before emotionally, and so we, we make decisions based on trying for that not to happen again. And usually what we end up doing is because we're so anxious about having emotional pain, we end up driving ourselves to a place mm-hmm. where we actually have emotional pain, and so it becomes very self-defeating it does. in that regard. And so for me, there are times when um, I'll feel my anxiety rising, and it's so true because I have to say to myself, wait a second. I can't do this. I'm a pastor. Like, you know, like it's like already the thoughts that are running through my head. I'm like, that's not very pastorly because it's just that as that anxiety goes up, your spirituality, suddenly you, you forget you're a Jesus girl all of a sudden. Right. So Exactly. And how do you think we can help people understand or recognize when they are in that emotional and anxious state? Because they may, well, I don't have anxiety. Yeah. Well, we all have it at some point and we feel anxious at times. What's a good warning light for that? I I say that uh, God didn't give me a check engine light. There you go. And I wish he would have. So it could, you know, flare and flash. And yes. I could pull over to the side and, mm-hmm. you know, take care of things. But I, I really think that for me, and I think it's different for everyone, but I notice that my respiration gets faster. My heart rate builds. My thinking gets rapid. And sometimes my speaking gets very rapid. And it's those cues that tell me that, I really need to sit down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's another little secret that, that I've learned. When I subordinate myself to another person, the amplitude of my voice changes, uh, the context of my conversation changes. If I raise my eye level above another person, I call it being in my reptilian brain where mm-hmm. I'm in fight or flight mode and I don't flee. Mm-hmm. And so I really act in a terrible way. Yeah, that's good. But I think everyone needs to find their own check engine light. And, you know, to the point where I think I even almost black out when I really get anxious, you know, when I really feel threatened, you know, just tunnel vision and Mm -hmm. it's in survivor mode at that point. But I I think, too, if we really love other people, then we will start to realize that, um, you know, if. If you're married to somebody, you should you know when they're starting to get anxious. You know their handshake, or you know their eyes start to dart, or you see that you know you whatever the sign is, you know you know what that is. And if we really mm-hmm. love people, yeah. instead of saying I got them now, yeah. <laughs> what we need to be able to do is to say, whoa, they're really getting anxious. Yeah. I need to back up and give Absolutely. them a space to pull theirself to. Yeah. Yeah, we, we push and push and push until they explode. And they were like, well, they exploded. And yep, um, yep, I'm right. I'm right. Like, I yeah. see, I'm right. So mm-hmm. um, so it's, I kind of love your neighbor um, yes, tip no is to, to, to know other yeah. people's signs and, and back yeah. up when you see that they're, they're mm-hmm. there. That has very much to do with emotional maturity, being able to know what's going on within myself and act accordingly. If I'm driving and someone cuts in front of me and I get all mad, I'm not handling something right. That I, My emotions are high. If someone cuts in front of me and I'm like, mm, I'll give you some space. We're all going to work. I'll, I'll help you get there. Then I know that I'm at peace with myself. And 
Emotionally mature people not only can read themselves, but they read others Mm -hmm. and then react accordingly. Out of love, usually, if you're a Christian. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when one thing I think many people don't understand is that your emotional intelligence is tied to your spiritual maturity, that you can't be emotionally immature and spiritually mature. There's, It's not even possible. And so sometimes people will ask me, how do you know if you're growing spiritually? I'm like, well, how, what are you doing with your emotions? That's the thing that we can, that's mm-hmm. more tangible that we mm-hmm. can usually see. Mm-hmm. And they're like, not so good with that. And I'm like, well, then I've got to be the bearer <laughs> of bad news. <laughs> Guess what? Guess what? <laughs> so for people who are at a place where they say, I am ready to and willing to address some blind spots, tell them about your book and your website so that they can right. find the tools they need. The uh, website is jerrydclark.com. And you can get access to the book there. It's on Amazon. So Amazon uh, Books is where you can find it. And it's Blind Spots in Relationships. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing your stories with us today and for being with us on the Backyard Chat Podcast. Thanks, Karen and Melissa. Join us next week as we dive into part two with Jerry and talk about blind spots in our parenting. If you don't want to miss a single episode of the Backyard Chat Podcast, Be sure to follow the show in your Apple podcast app by clicking on the three dots in the top right corner of your screen. And if you're feeling really adventurous, click on the arrow to share the show with all your friends. We'll be back next week. And And we we can't can't wait wait to to chat chat with you. you.